Ladies and gentlemen, the Michael Oldroyd Comedy Podcast is brought to you by Droid Entertainment. It is an independently produced show, and if you enjoy it, please subscribe. Feel free to write a review of the podcast on whatever platform you use to ingest podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Blueberry, Spotify, whatever it is. And if you already subscribe and you've already written a review and you still want to further support the cause, please consider becoming a sponsor through Patreon. If you go to patreon.com, you can check out our page. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash the droid. T-H-E-D-R-O-Y-D. And if you make a donation, then we will give you a shout out in a future episode of the podcast. And if you've done all of these things and you still want to help, then go ahead and just send me some nudes. All right. Send me money. Send me nudes. Don't be a Jew. Don't be a prude. Send me money. Send me nudes. Don't be a Jew. Don't be a prude. Yeah, I'm actually part Jewish. Now enjoy today's episode. As hilarious as that music may sound, it is not how I want to kick off my podcast. Welcome to the Michael Aldrich Comedy Podcast. It's going to be so much fun where he makes humor of himself and the many things in New York City. Oh, and by the way, this is not the voice of Bruno. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Michael Oldroyd Comedy Podcast. This is episode 126, son. How do you feel about that? You excited? Because I am. All right? 126. 126, guys. That means we're 100 episodes after episode 26. Um, and the number 26 was a... Uh, it's a special number, and it correlates directly with today's guest, Uh the guest uh, is Blake May. He was a wide receiver. He was a preferred walk-on. Uh, I think Blake would appreciate that I include the words preferred there in quotes. Um, and uh, we, we were both the same age, right? So he's from Kansas City, Missouri. We both, uh, you know, we were in the same meetings every day with Coach Hill, uh, who's, who was also a, a walk-on wide receiver back in the 80s, I believe. Um, so we get into the story about how Blake, uh, how Blake, um, went from high school in Kansas city to walking on the university of Missouri, where our paths met and crossed over, uh, again, nearly every day and, uh, for, for a couple of years there. And, uh, it was, it was really fun. We had a good time going down memory lane, talking about football, talking about comedy, talking about. Uh, some of the things that we got out of football and, and how, how the relationships in football shaped us uh, to this day, right? Um, and, and we're both appreciative of, of that opportunity to be molded by, uh, you know, so many guys in, in, the, in the Missouri football stratosphere. And, um, yeah, we, we had a great time. You know, Blake's, from, like I said, he's from Kansas City. I'm pretty sure he's a diehard Chiefs fan. Uh, our position coach, Andy Hill, Ironically, is is coaching for the Chiefs now. He, he after his time at Missouri, he, I guess the last couple of years he's been with the Chiefs, uh, and the Chiefs had a big victory today. So it's kind of perfect. The timing is is 
it really couldn't be better to have a, a, a native Kansas City football player uh, on the week that the Kansas City Chiefs win the AFC Championship and are going back to the Super Bowl uh, with our former coach, Andy Hill. And um, it's really cool. You know, a, a lot of the stuff kind of lines up. We talk about some of the guys that we were able to learn from, and you know, uh, the Jeremy Macklins of the team who also played for the Chiefs at one point, the Chase Daniels. All these guys. I mean, honestly, we if any of the guys in the team were listening to this and their names weren't mentioned, I can tell you we weren't. Um, you know, there were so many star athletes and just uh, remarkable talents that, that graced those uh, that locker room. Well, I'll say those locker rooms because there was actually two locker rooms we had at the time. And, um, yeah, just uh, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff to get into. Um, and Blake's always been a big support of my comedy. You know, we were obviously um, both competing for wanting to wanting to get out there and make a difference as wide receivers. We, we wanted to get out on the field and play, right? We wanted to, we wanted to, um, you know, make things happen. And uh, and you know that that competition, that competitiveness drives um, people to become better, right? And, uh, you know, I, I appreciated Blake's support of my comedy. I remember back in the day he always appreciated the, the frat impressions and the sorority jokes. So I know we didn't talk about that, Blake, if you're listening to this right now. Um, but uh, I do recall that. And I remember he used to have me – Blake used to have me over to his uh, his place with the cool kids. And I say that truthfully. Uh, him – we mentioned in the podcast, but when he was living uh, downtown Columbia uh, with uh, a couple of the – the star athletes on the team, the Brock Christophers, Chase Kaufman, uh, James Stegall, um, you know, th- th- that's where the cool kids live, right? And uh, Chase has been on this before, and they used to let me come over, Blake would have me over, we'd play Guitar Hero every once in a while, um, you know, and just, uh, you know, um, bullshit, you know what I mean? Just have a good time, and um, appreciated those guys taking me in. I know that uh, I'll probably have Brock on at some point, and I think James Stegall wants to join. So maybe the four of us, or the five of us will do a podcast episode sometime, and I can uh, thank them firsthand for uh, you know for for letting me uh, be cool by association, right? Uh, nevertheless, though, it, it was good stuff, and I think I've done enough talking, so I think we can go ahead and, and get into this. But uh, I did want to say uh, real happy for Blake. You know, he's doing well. He's got a family. He's got his own business. So if you guys need insurance, uh, make sure you take a look into Blake May's insurance uh, offerings. Um, We talk about it in the podcast a little bit. And uh, nevertheless, hope you guys enjoy the episode. gentlemen please welcome a former teammate of mine at the university of missouri we're both walk-on wide receivers and i'm glad to have him on please welcome blake may what's up blake what's up how we doing man i I need to um correct you on one thing on that introduction oh Uh, preferred walk-on please if you don't mind okay well i appreciate you i appreciate you difference The, the end result's the same neither of us play but 
<laughs> I think there is a difference. That actually explains a few things. I didn't know that, Blake. Maybe you told me, and I don't know, but Tommy was a preferred walk-on, too. Um, and so was Brandon Giroux, right? Um, I think that is right, yeah. Were, th- were there a the distinct difference? Well, yeah, it's when uh, the coaches requested or gave you the opportunity to walk on. They actually reached out to you first rather than you coming to them, right? Yes, but I believe, Mike, and I could be wrong, but I believe when you start camp, I think you get, uh, I don't know, call it 85, 95 guys, or, or you get 10 more than the scholarship number, I believe. I'm making that up. Some some number that's not uh, very high. Yeah, yeah. You get to let come to camp, and I think those were defined as preferred walk-ons, which I wish... Looking back, it would have been better to not be a preferred walk-on, right? <laughs> you don't have to mess with Kenya, but yeah, yeah. Well, I digress. I would have been, uh, I would have been very appreciative of the opportunity, but uh, I hear you. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Sometimes um, that's true. Were there any other preferred walk-ons that we can remember off the top of our heads? Uh, Tommy Saunders, Brandon Giroux, you. Were there any other guys in the in the receiver locker room that were preferred walk-ons? Yeah, I mean, there were, like I said, I'm trying to think who would have come in my freshman. Did you play freshman year? No, I was on the track team. That was my plan was to, I just Man, joined them. You must have had a slow track team. Is that why? Is, I can't, I would have to sit down and think about it. But whatever 10 guys that were, you know, were at day one at camp. Um, For a shock. Forrest Shock was on the preferred walk-on list. Forrest Shock, yes, exactly. Good call. Yeah. Um, so who was the coach that... Lyman maybe or something, but... Who was the coach that invited you to walk on, coach or coaches? Who, who had reached out to you first? So Andy Hill um, was always up um, messing around, always. Would come to Rockhurst High School where I went probably, I don't know three or four times a year during recruiting season. Um, And I think that's how we initially met. Um, But I don't recall how the actual, I mean, I think he reached out and um, as I say, he actually made a smart move. I'm I'm speculating as to the decision-making, but if your parents can afford to send you to school, and you're going to go there anyways, why the hell would you test a kid out on scholarship? You can just test them out for free. <laughs> right? In theory. In theory. Best of both worlds if you're the coach. Yeah. Yeah. In theory. But, yeah, no, he – that Andy's who, quote, I'll put in air quotes, recruited me. Um, I think that's probably an overstatement. Um, but, yeah. Wow. Blake, I didn't know that. You. Well, I came to Mizzou, or I came to the team, right? I, I, I approached the team and requested to walk on. So you rec- you recruited you. I like that. Yeah, so that's why Coach Hill didn't like me. <laughs> uh, Coach Hill loved you. Are you kidding me? You really think so, Blake? Actually, that's a funny point. You, you really think he actually liked me? Because I, I did not feel that way at all. I think besides um, guys or players that are creating or, or, or outputting production, um, 
because that's the name of the game at the end of the day. The next best thing and guy you can have, player you can have, is one that does what you tell him to do, shows up when he's supposed to show up, works hard, and is good enough to be a good practice player. And I don't say that in a bad way. I, I, Jed, I was in that group, right? Because there were some, and that, that's you. That's, in my opinion, that's, I'm describing you. You're never going to have to put up with any BS from Mike. Coaches are never going to have, because, you know, as a walk-on, your leash is really short, as it should be, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, listen, if you can have guys come out that are talented enough to at least give some reps um, that are close enough to replicating what some stuff will be game time and that guy stays out of the way and doesn't cause you headaches as a coach. Yeah. That you want as many of those guys as you can. I hate complimenting you like that, Mike, but I know I <laughs> Well I appreciate it, Blake. I, I, I can feel I could feel that you were uh, doing the doing the the respectful thing by saying those things, and I appreciate that. And no, I mean it. I really do. No, I, no doubt. Whereas you know, I mean, yeah, I was a preferred walk on. Maybe maybe talents might have been slightly better. I don't know. That's up for debate too. But I'm also <laughs> a jackass. That's the difference. Yeah. Well, you know what? I guess there's no way to really settle the score on on the whole talent thing, and um, and that's fine. We don't need to. But you know what? Um, one thing that I would compliment you on, Blake, is I think you had a really good understanding of the program. Um, I feel like you understood how things worked, right? Um, I think you have a good... Yeah, the <laughs> I think that you had a... You knew how the system worked, and you didn't waste effort on non-necessary things, right? I, I, I definitely beat my head against uh, the wall a lot um, in... Um, you know, trying to make things happen, but that's awesome that Coach Hill um, came out and uh, you know that, that, that you guys had a relationship before Mizzou. I mean that that says that definitely says something about your your high school days. Um, were you a star on the team in high school, or like who, was there any other guys that he was checking out on on the Rockhurst team? Didn't Tony so, Temple go there? So I played with um, uh, Tony Temple. That's he right. He was a year older than me, so we played at Rockers for three years. Steve Redman. Okay. Tony's great. Yeah. Um, and he was not there for, trust me, he didn't make the two-hour miserable drive down 70 for me by any means. So it's not <laughs> that twisted. Um, but I'm trying to think who else. I feel like, um, do you remember, which he was actually a walk-on, maybe a preferred walk-on. Um, yeah, I'm going to lose his name now, Mike. Um Oh, he was a linebacker, and then he quit. He hit hard as a motherfucker, and he played at Rockers. Um, a year older than us. Van Alexander? Was a linebacker's coach name. Van Alexander, was it? No, Van's from Columbia. This is a Rockers kid. I feel like an idiot. Um, they called him uh, Freight Train or something. Oh, God, what was his name? Um, Coach Steck had a name for him. Joey Schumacher would know. Him. I could text Joe. I mean, I know the kid. I'm just completely drawing. That's all right. Blank. It happens. Yeah. One other. I think he and I were the two rockers walk-ons. I believe. That's great, man. 
Were you uh, yeah. were you an impact player? Was receiver your position in high school? So uh, yeah, receiver was my position. Unfortunately, Rockers didn't use receivers, um, so that makes that position pretty meaningless. Yeah, um, I was um, the whatever you know, we two starting receivers. Glorified, glorified blockers, I call him. The other one was DJ Horde. I don't know if you know DJ Horde. Not DJ up. was in my grade, went to uh, Notre Dame on a football scholarship. I think ended up transferring, I think I know, ended up transferring to uh, Northern Iowa, I want to say sophomore year. Uh, really fast. Okay. Macklin fast. Wow. Uh, and so Coach Hill was up there recruiting him as well. And uh, But yeah. So what have you been up to, my man? Are you yeah. in the good old state, the good old show me state? Or, yeah. Or I know you're up, up in New York. Were you out in L.A.? Yeah. A little bit too? Yeah, so after uh, after college, right, uh, I guess it was my junior year when I, when I my, my career had, or whatever you want, my, my practice career at, <laughs> at Mizzou had ended. Uh, when my practice formally ended like a law firm, I'm shutting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, I stayed in Columbia for a year dating a girl and then, uh, it didn't work out. So I moved out to LA to continue the pursuit of comedy. Cause as you know, I started doing comedy while I was on the team. And I remember you, um, I, I remember that was one thing that you encouraged me. So I can, I, I do thank you for that. I remember your, um, your support there. So uh, I don't forget stuff. I forget some things cause of football, but some things stick. That was one of the things that has stuck with me. And I do appreciate that. That, uh, that you were an encourager. Yeah, you know, it's just what's amazing to me, Mike, that you've accomplished is you're still in comedy and you're not even funny. You know? it's like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you maintain a gig like that? That's, yeah. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. I feel, I'm I, only kidding. No, you, know, you, you know what, Mike? I've always loved, you know, I, I, I actually do enjoy your comedy. I recall the last kind of engagement, you were here in Kansas City. Yeah. I went, T. Ruck went, I think it was in Westport, maybe, at that old... Um, that coffee house, yep. Yeah. That was, a, that, was a, that was a really fun night. I do remember you being there and, and the support you showed, and a lot of our friends showed up, you know, uh, some some guys from the team, uh, Ryan McDill showed up, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, what I respect about, you know, comedians, comedy, whatever you want to call it in general is, it's one of those... Um, things, activities, whatever, you know, however you want to describe it, that everyone thinks they're funny, like myself included, <laughs> until they actually have to be funny um, at the time when everyone's expecting them to be funny. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. Um, and I don't think most yahoos like myself appreciate um, the, the distinction or the um, magnitude of difference between being funny amongst your friends in a natural setting because something comes up that's funny. That's still being funny, but yeah. that's a different type of funny than, all right, I'm walking out on this stage, people paid to come here. Even if they didn't pay, they're judging me on my funniness right now. That's, yeah. That is, without having ever done it, I can imagine the distinction in how i um, different or more difficult that is than what I call the normal world funny. Well, that's an intelligent breakdown, and having lived through it, I can tell you you're absolutely right. That was the most difficult part for me is figuring out 
And I, and I will say, you know, the people that are able to make their friends laugh, that is a talent. You know, that, that's nothing to um, discount. Uh, trans, transitioning that into doing it on the spot, there's a practice to that. There's a craft to it, a, kind of a process. And, and it's up to each comedian to hone that or, or troupe of comedians to, to hone their process and then allow that natural talent to kind of fall into that. But, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been a it's been a real pain in the ass trying to learn that process, and uh, I think I've got most of it down. Uh, but there's always plenty of room for improvement, and um, you know, I, yeah, I appreciate the compliment, man. Um, but yeah, we we, so we you, are, back to L.A. How long? Sorry, how, how long were you out in that? You went from Columbia to L.A. How long were you out in L.A.? Yeah, you know, I wanted to go straight for the jugular. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, it, it walk on mentality, right? Uh, Why not? Kind of like you know, nothing can be worse than running through the middle uh, of of a defense with guys like Sean Witherspoon. I think I can survive L.A. Right? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I figured so I you were out there for a few years and then went to New York, or how, how yeah, long you out in LA? yeah. So I moved out to L.A. I was there for about four and a half years. Originally, my friend Chris Blackerby, who was one of the bartenders at Big Twelve, yep. came out there with yep. me. I've seen him on some of your material. Yeah, yeah, he's a great kid. He's one of my best friends, and uh, we 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 made that trip out there together, which made it a lot easier and, and more realistic. Uh, he ended up moving back home within six months because he's probably smart and realized that L.A. in a, a lot of ways is just a mirage. Um, though you can get some things out of it. Uh, obviously, I'm not. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's an interesting place. L.A. is. Uh, but I was there for four and a half years, and long story short, I I didn't want to keep going off a cliff. It felt like the longer I stayed out there, the the further away I'd get from realistically being able to have a family someday. And I kind of pulled a cord in my mind where I, I needed to start getting a real job. Not giving up on comedy, but at least having some sort of savings or something so that I, you know, you, you can, you can just completely drive off the cliff if, if you choose to. Right. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, you, you hope that the parachute opens, but it may not. Right. So, um, I decided to, uh, take advantage Either of an opportunity. Two or three years or. Well, I, I, uh, I took advantage of the opportunity to work with a friend. So I was able to get a lot of, I, I was very thankful to have a the type of opportunity where I could work and still have the flexibility of working from home. So I actually stayed in LA while working from home. Um, and long story short, just LA just wasn't, wasn't picking up traction. You know, I, I didn't want to live in, in, um, in an illusion for too long without seeing enough results. Right. Um, needed Did to not try to get out of porn industry. You didn't check the porn industry out. You know what? I actually, I, I was, well, a preferred porn star. Oh, I'm supposed to ask that. I'm not gonna <laughs> no, I was. I was actually. You know, I had people. I had a few opportunities to do porn, which was more interest than Andy Hill had in me as a walk-on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I just. I mean, from the slow guy, Mike. What's that? <laughs> I said that. That's like being the fastest slow guy. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't take him up on the offer. Uh, you know, I, I think it was two or three times that, that it came up just through mutual connections that I had had and being at a certain place at a certain time. And I was like, you know, I'm, I appreciate it, but now I'm I'm going to pass on this. Um, 
But uh, long story short, uh, I was able to get the job going so that I could continue to sustain the craft of comedy, right? Um, That I could sustain the the ability to keep moving forward and not feel like I I would have nothing to offer if things didn't work out in comedy um, to to a woman, right? Um, So that's kind of been the the story. The the business actually was successful. All the business that I joined became much more successful than my comedy career has. Um, but what it, business did you join? Well, it was actually founded in Kansas City. Believe it or not, it was a startup that one of my friends from college, um, his older brother, started. And I remember I, I'd see you out every once in a while. I'd be hanging out with my friend. His name was Kyle, and you would be like. Who's that scruffly hair dude that you're hanging out with? <laughs> do you remember saying something like that? What was his name? His name was Kyle. Do you remember? Do you remember seeing me out and like joking about that? You're like, why? Are you, why are you hanging out with that that scraggly hair dude over there? <laughs> oh, this was back in Columbia, Mike. I, I think I saw you in Kansas City in in Westport a time or two when I had moved back to to Kansas City for a year. So I was in LA for four and a half years, and I moved back to Kansas City for a full year. Um, and I saw you out a time or two. In fact, I was there working and still pursuing comedy. Hence that night that you came out to the show to see me perform. That was when I was leaving Kansas city as a whole. That was kind of my send off show. Gotcha. Um, and then I went, what were you doing? What was the job? What was the business here in Kansas city? Yeah. Uh, the, the easiest way to summarize it is we were like a boutique consulting firm specifically for hospitals that had a certain type of electronic medical records, EHR. So, yeah. as you know, Cerner is very popular in Kansas City. Pretty much everyone works for Cerner. Um, yeah. One of Cerner's biggest competitors is a company called Epic. They're bo- they both make the software, yeah. just different kinds. Yeah. And uh, they keep less of a tighter hold on who can service that software. I feel like at Cerner, only Cerner employees can service the software, but Epic is more focused on selling their software and they do a little bit of service, but it makes more room for third party companies to, to service it. So gotcha. I was basically an it geek pimp for, So, uh, and you did that gig how long? Uh, and by the way, I just want to clarify willing pimp by, by that, um, you know, people wanted me to be their pimp. No one was being taken advantage of. But I just want to clarify that I was a good pimp. Well, that's no fun, then. That takes all the out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, what were you? Duly what was your noted, question, though? Duly noted. What was your question, though? I I don't remember. Oh, I was going to say um, no. I, yeah, just what the business did, and you you nailed it. You described it. So, is it you're not working there any longer? Correct. Did you go from KC to New York or KC back to LA, then LA to New York? I went from KC to New York. Um, and I've been in New York for a while. For five years, essentially. Yeah. So you, you can't, you went, you saw me do that last show in Kansas City before I moved to New York. And that was five years ago now. Um, yeah. maybe six years because, uh, you know, the whole pandemic being thrown into the mix. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that was. Pandemic? Yeah, (laughs) maybe not in Blake's world. No. So you were in New York five, six years. Comedy, kind of same thing as LA, but just new. I mean, you you were pursuing. You went there to pursue comedy specifically. Yeah, you know, I I I feel like New York has gone better than LA. I I felt like I had create. I 
been able to create more traction in New York, more meaningful relationships, more... Um, I focus more so on refining the ability and the craft of stand-up. I really wanted to get good at stand-up. In New York, there's a lot of opportunity to get good there and really kind of cut your teeth, as they say. Um, So I do feel that I have gotten better at stand-up since you saw me in Kansas City and and tried to make it more worldly. In fact, I remember you actually gave me – you shared – you were respectful in how you did it. You said, uh, if you want my opinion, Mike – uh, I think you need to develop more things aside from just football, right? Because football is going to hit here in Missouri, football jokes. And uh, I agreed with that feedback. That was kind of something already in the works, believe it or not. So I feel like New York gave me the chance to, to grow uh, as a comedian in both my material and um, and just abilities to, to execute it, right? Um, How would you describe your comedic craft? Well, it depends on what, what your stick or sticks or or what your yeah what, I, what box would you throw yourself in within the larger comedian world? Yeah, if we're talking specifically about stand up, I would say the same, just a magnified persona of who I am, just kind of a silly, goofy, light-hearted type humor. It's not very, I mean, I guess it's intellectual, but I, I don't think that's what it would be known for, right? It's more. Uh, Silly and goofy rather than uh, saying a funny thing. It's more so being, you know, you know. there's a lot of cynical comics out there. There's a lot of uh, political humor. I don't do too too much. I mean, I've gotten into a little bit of it just based on... Do you know who you remind me of, who I would say is, is similar? I don't know. If, I mean, I thought he was funny, but uh, well, I'm going to let you guess. No, I, I have... pretty big at one point. I have no idea to be honest. Don't say Andrew Dice Clay, please. <laughs> is that who you want me to say? No, I was going to say don't say. Oh, say whatever your say whatever the truth is. Yeah, and no, I think you got some Dane Cook in you. Some. Uh, okay. I think what to me what is um, why people gravitate towards uh, not only your comedy but just you in general is the intensity. Um, that you bring to everything. Okay. You know, that's always one thing I remembered because I'm, I'm the same way. Everything I do, I'm either doing it a hundred thousand miles an hour with, you know, all engaged and, and, you know, very intense. And sometimes that can be negative, but it usually produces the best product of whatever you're involved in. And, um, I think your intensity kind of aligns. He was, what I've watched of Dane Kick, again, not knowing anything about comedy except for watching comedy. Yeah. He kind of had that same vibe. Well, I take that as a as a huge compliment considering he was one of my biggest influences at one point. Um, you know, I, I loved that. In fact, you know what's awesome, and I don't want to talk too much about me. I want to shift back to you too, but I'll, I'll say this. Um First time I saw Dane Cook was in eighth grade, and I remember thinking at the time, for, it was his Comedy Central special wearing the black tank top when he really exploded onto the scene. I remember thinking, man, I, like, I feel like this guy is similar to my sense of humor, you know, for that reason of kind of being like more of more. You can see that he's an extrovert, or at least it, it comes off that way, right? Yeah. And he's, mm-hmm. and he's, he at least appeared to be kind of an athlete. Right, I, I don't think he ever was an athlete, but he came off in that set 
and in a lot of his sets through his intensity as kind of like that athlete minded um that ethic structure yeah just a, a completely different um uh, angle at comedy uh, unfortunately Dane Cook's uh he's dropped off a little bit and, and I'm not hating him shoot I've never even hit the the Yahtzee the way he did I, I I'm still yeah, still trying to hit being a good comedian is kind of like I mean there's the exceptions there's the Chappelle's there's the you know you name it but it's kind of like being a really good running back it, you, there's, the window is very small at that at that level if you're a yeah. Dane Cook I mean yeah, you know most guys most Dane Cooks of the world or most guys who try to become Dane Cooks of the world don't ever get to the top of their game even for a few years like yeah. Dane Cook did but even yeah. most of those who do it's only for whether you're a boxer or a track star or a running back or a comedian, when yeah. you get to that level, yeah, you you can only sustain. Well, not only can you as an individual only sustain that that level for so long, but there's others coming up for you. Yeah, to get to be the man. So, I would say that's probably you know Dane's falling off, so to speak, if that's how you want to define it. It's probably um, the. Um, typical not the atypical type of you know what you see from comedians yeah 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 he also um he also i don't think his acting matched his his awesomeness on stage and stand-up so when he started to do acting which is ultimately the goal for a lot of comedians not all it didn't pop right like he he had one or two movies in the beginning like waiting was okay but i feel like we were all still waiting to see that dane cook that we had seen on stage that we wanted, we were kind of still waiting to see like that in a movie. And we never really got that from him, you know? Um, you know, it's weird. Cause those, I've, I've, I follow you. I like watching your stuff on, on Instagram. I hate social media, but you know, I use it nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and I think in a lot of respects, no, no diss on your, your comedy stand, but I think some of the acting bits, there was one I recall, you're like on a bench in New York City and you and your, I think it was your buddy or like he's trying to, he thought you guys were going out on a date or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's pretty good. That's good content. Thanks, man. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate that, Blake. Um, Are you trying to go that world? I mean, obviously, you know, when you're hungry like you, you're trying to throw anything and everything as you should on the wall and see what sticks That's yeah experience. the truth is yeah i love um i love entertaining through the different mediums i love stand-up and i love acting you know and i'd love to have the opportunity to do things in the acting world stand-up and 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 uh and i'm not limiting or comedy but also not just limited to comedy acting wise right um yeah so those would all be great things but uh I got I got a, a new gray hair every day. I mean, the shelf life of the the droid, you know what I mean? Is what's the false fault, right? Yeah, yeah. But but how about you? Speaking of uh, of these things, first you of all, can, speaking of gray hairs, I've got a gray beard on my well, beard. When I don't shave, it's gray. My hair is going gray. My brain's going gray. A lot of gray matter. <laughs> Well, I was gonna, I was gonna congratulate you on your family. You're married. You got two kids now. Um, yeah. What's it like being a dad, man? 
Oh, God. Um, well, if you can imagine, Mike, um, a three-year-old female Blake May, um, imagine taking care of her. <laughs> As I call her, she's my little terrorist. Okay. Um, That's right. Riley's her name. Yeah. She's wonderful um, and awful all at the same time. Um, and my son is a year old. He's actually just like his mother, thank God. Uh, more like his mother yeah you know parenting i think everyone would tell you it's it's um you wake up every day and just put one foot in front of the next and um you i think you prepare mentally and then it becomes automatic of you know it you trying to trying to um artificially manage or or, you know, impose this or that rule or we're going to do it this way. Um, you know, you just got to kind of sit back and go for the ride, right? It's no different than your experience, albeit not with kids. Um, what, what you're doing with comedy is is you get up every day and as long as, well, with kids you don't have a choice, but as long as you continue to like what you do and parenting is part of that, then, um, as I always say, just do more of it. Yeah. But yeah. it's good. You know, my wife and I have been married for, oh, she's going to kill me. I'm not going to let her listen to this mic. Uh, <laughs> going on five, six years now, I'll throw a couple of years in there. Uh, so safe, you know, I'll throw a year plus or minus. Um, but yeah, you know, moved back to, to Kansas City like a loser uh, <laughs> after going to school in Columbia. Um, and got in the insurance business. Yeah, I'm selling insurance. Uh, I knew I was going to sell something because that's the default when you don't know what else to do, right? Go find something to sell to people, whether they need it or not. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure that. Do, do, do you say that to your clients? Do you say that to your clients? Uh, some I do, yeah, and they already know it. So you know. Well, you know what? That's awesome. Then. They that's know. that's fantastic. In that case, I mean that's. But that yeah, so that I, goes far. The insurance business working for someone for or someone a, a brokerage here in town for geez, what was it nine years? And then I um, started my own agency doing the exact same thing. Just you know, wow. started my own business and I started that in March of nineteen, and here we are. Wow! Congratulations. PPP loans, you know. Say that again. PPP PPE loans. Just trying to get payroll protection program loans. Okay. Um, I was half joking. The PPP, the, um, you know, the, uh, well, I guess if you don't own a business, maybe you wouldn't have cared about it, but it was part of all the COVID stuff. Ah. Loans, the forgivable loans, as they call them. That's right. I, uh, that went over my head considering I was, uh, still trying to pursue comedy during the the whole thing, but no, that, I, I have heard of that and, um. That's awesome so you go, that you have your own business now. Back to New York, you plan to do that? You just came home while everything kind of sorts itself out around the world, or what? What are your what are you projecting in the future? Yeah, you know, it's uh, a good question. I would say I'm going to wait until the the clouds kind of fully go away. I think that we can see a light at the end of the tunnel now. Um, I, I'm excited that uh, I feel like we're not too far away from being able to take progressive steps back toward making things normal. Um, 
as far as where I'm going to go, that is kind of up in the air. Uh, I may stay. Here's the thing: is we live in a more virtual world than we ever have. Uh, social media is more relevant than it's ever been, and I do have connections in both LA and New York when I do have opportunities. I'm, I'm thankful and lucky enough to have a few agents in New York with opportunities that I get to submit and audition for virtually from time to time. And I feel that when I land gigs, I can go there and either stay at an Airbnb or stay with friends. Um, the idea of needing to live there full time, 365 days a year, um, and either pay, you know, paying for that premium. Uh, I'm not sure if it's fully worth the trade. I don't know if it was going to be worth it worth the trade-off much longer even if the pandemic didn't happen i was already thinking is this is the opportunity cost worth the results that i'm getting and i feel like i may be able to be just as effective if not more while being took the words out of my mouth yeah well you know you're there's not that you're a dime a dozen out in la or new york or what have you but you you i would imagine some of your comedy when you were out in LA and New York, although you could argue the other way, but um, does not bring you know any uh, I'll call it Midwestern relevancy or what the way you talk, the way you present yourself, what you define as funny um, can be regional at times. It can it can certainly be impacted by how you grow up, what your environment is, and um, so. You know, you at the end of the day, just because you moved to LA or moved to New York, you're still um, a product of some place you spent for, you know, what, 25 years of your life. And so some of that um, is always going to be, I would imagine, naturally intertwined in your comedy. Yeah. And bringing that back to those same people who grew up in a similar environment, there could be some stuff that hits that wouldn't otherwise hit and inform. Yeah. places, I guess. Well, that's true. Uh, that's one of the reasons that guys like Jay Leno would test his jokes out in different parts of the country uh, when he got when he had the resources to be able to do that, and he was kind of a bigger name and, and had his own show. Um, he would find out how certain pockets or certain demographics would would react to certain bits, right? So there definitely is that component to it, and you are right that um, you know a lot of some of the stuff that resonated best early on, especially in Missouri, did not resonate within a, a, an L.A. or a New York. And I, I I did have to adjust and figure out a way to be more universal with my humor, right? I feel like there's a lot of inside jokes. That's not the best word for it, but there's a lot of Missouri um, nuances that are that – are, maybe it's true for anywhere, like you said – but there was a lot yeah, of comedies like food. There's different people make chili. Yeah, in Texas and they do Ohio. People make whatever. Comedy yeah. is different. Uh, I totally. I'm picking up what you're yeah. laying down. I get it. Yeah, I think. The, I think the idea is to 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 go wherever I'm going to enjoy being the most, and then just do my thing from there, right? Um, yeah. And that might be continuing to stay here in Missouri, close to the majority of my friends and family um, and be able to, you know, because we live in such a virtual world, just focus on creating as much content as I can. And then, you know, getting opportunities when I can to, to audition for roles in, in movies and, and things like that. And then, you know, do, do shows on the road, right. Do a little touring and, 
uh, things of that nature. So, long story short, yeah, that's that's that's. I'm thinking about it all, and those are all options that are being considered. And I think when the when the dust settles, there will be a lot of clarity in, in what feels right at that time. You know. So. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> what, what you said you came back eventually wanting to have kids. What's that level? You know, you got to hang out. Someone's got to want to hang out with you to have kids. Yeah, I know. I know. How'd you do it, Blake? <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding, I man. Her into it. Yeah. I, I always joke when I have a girlfriend. We we have the same sense of humor there. Um, no, that's, that's great, man. And, uh, you're right. I, you know, I, um, time will tell on that front. You know, I, I do have a, a friend that, that I've had a bond with who's, uh, who was a girlfriend for a while as well. And, uh, I think we're both kind of in that same mindset right now. She lives across the country and we're both like, if it's meant to be, it'll, it'll work out. But the idea of trying to force it right now or, you know, things like that just does not seem smart you know there are some things out of our control and i think we're both on the same page that uh we'll just see how it all unfolds and if it doesn't work out we'll be all right you know and there's there's a lot of fish in the sea and um, that's for sure yeah i'm not i'm not worried about it you know i'm honestly not worried about now ask me in five years i might start getting nervous uh if something hasn't happened by then you know but yeah, in the meantime, I'll, I'll follow up with you. Then. I'll make sure to circle back. <laughs> yeah, put that in the calendar. You know, you, you're in sales, so you we don't we all know about those calendar appointments. You know, <laughs> what's my boy uh, old Hop up to? I, yeah, he, he was one funny son of a bitch. What's he doing? Yeah, yeah, Huff's always been a a, a very light uh, humorist. Natural. Yeah, very good. Very. Uh, he's never gotten into stand up, but he's really good with. Uh, uh, a lot of a, a lot of the other stuff, I, I've I've told him for years he should try stand up, and he just doesn't seem to have any interest in stand up specifically. But he's great at, at all that he does choose to do. And um, if I recall, he's in Nashville when I was listening to that show of, that he was on. He was he was in Nashville for a while. I think he's actually from Nashville, and. Um, you know, he's he was working with ESPN for a while. He was actually on the the Jim Rome show, I believe. He was working for Jim Rome at one point. So he's done the whole ESPN sports talk radio, and now ESPN—that's a flailing business model. Is it really? Are you joking? Or I, I don't—I don't even—I haven't no, studied I'm it. That's serious. They just laid off like six hundred <clears throat> people or something. I'm not saying that on Huff, and that's a good job. Shit, yeah, the whole. Um, and it hits on your point with podcast and just social media and content. The um, it is my two cents, and I've talked to it about a good friend of mine. Um, he's actually more like my second dad, older than me, but worked at ESPN for a long time, worked at Fox Sports for a long time. Uh, you know the s- sports um, sports talk through the television or any sports content, I should say, not live game related yeah. is, you know, like owning a blockbuster in the late 90s. No matter how good you were at owning a blockbuster in the late 90s, that model was disappearing. And I think much to the same way, you know, I think what is owned by Disney, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And Disney execs would probably tell you, you know, I mean, when we were growing up, remember we used to watch like ESPN, like or the Sports Center. Yeah, the Sports Center was the show. Yeah, right. And like, you would actually like watch it, like oh, Sports Center is an episode. Um, that's just not really 
if it is a thing these days, I don't know who the hell's watching it, but, um, you know, there's just so many other ways to deliver the content. But yeah, I've done, I've read some stuff that they, they lay off a ton of people. Yeah. But anyhow. Yeah. You know, so it's not still working. He's not working for no, you know what he's doing right now is he he's going his own he's going rogue, right? Similar to you in the way that he's pursuing his own avenue, his own niche within it. He's got a, a company called Corked Bats. It's his it's okay. his brand, it's his niche, and it's basically the niche is sports comedy, right? So it's worth checking out. It's K O R K E D. Yeah, he's he's constantly. I mean, Huff's really grinding on the the uh, the volume of content that he creates and uh i think it's pretty cool he uses a lot of um um obscure references right so you know it'll 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 tickle anyone who's kind of grew up watching a variety of things anywhere from you know like the goonies type i mean he'll make a reference to anything right so he's done a great job of of, of creating content there and i'm proud of him for for pushing and i think uh I was actually looking at Jeff Waldman's Twitter recently, and apparently Jeff Waldman... Oh, Jeff, what is he? He's from Nashville, Tennessee as well, right? I don't know. I don't know how they knew each other, but they've always been really, really good friends. They might have known each other from Nashville or or before Missouri football, but Jeff, on his Twitter, it says that he's doing sales at whatever company he's selling, and he's also selling for corked bats on the side, I guess. So um, that's kind of cool to see, uh, you know, Jeff taking his trade and trying to, you know, help out Huff. Um, what are they selling? I mean, just content I'm, or, you know, or, it, it, who knows? Maybe it's advertising space on, on their website. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. That's uh, probably, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, Huff's, Huff's putting it out there, you know, and I'm proud of him and, um, He's always a fun guest to have on, and uh, I guess talking about you know funny guys that we you know that we went to school with. I thought I thought there was a lot of funny guys in the locker room, you know. And uh, who, who do you think that that's a good conversation? Who do you think was the funniest? Man, I think I, I can't even say who Besides is me. <laughs> I could I could say some of the standouts. Because each one had their own sense of humor in different circumstances. Obviously, Greg Bracey is, you know, is is up there. You know, he was one of one of his own, right? You know, he was in episode eighty five, as I had mentioned to you before, and he was just very charismatic. I that. Yeah, well, it was it was just audio too, right? Um, but uh, episode eighty five. And, uh, we didn't, I mean, he wasn't trying to be funny in that episode, but we, we talked a lot about football and in our, in our history together and, and also Greg Bracey, of course. Um, but I thought he was one of the standout funny guys. I thought Marcus Woods, when he would scream random things like Lewis in the locker room was hilarious. Marcus was good. He was funny. I thought, um, John Gissinger was unintentionally funny. Um, Gissy. Guess what you say. Guess he will come after you. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not putting him down. I think it's a compliment. He's just. He's a lighthearted. You know. Uh, Speaking of John Gissinger, do you know who? So who moved here just recently, and we started hanging out quite a bit, and we really weren't super close, not for any reason. I'm going to take a wild uh, guess. Was Jake Harry? That's what I was going to say. I knew he moved back. Danny told me. Oh, Yep. I, I don't ever see Relliger, but you guys are pretty close, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Danny and I became good friends in uh, in college. We had a couple. Like, we had a few chemistry classes together, and we hit it off there. So, um, what's Danny doing? Is he an engineer or something? Yeah. Yep. He's an engineer, and he's uh, he's got two kids now too. Actually, him and his wife. And actually, they met in Kansas City, and I was with them the day they had met at Grand Falloon. Actually, um, where did he he grew up here? Right. No, he's from Perryville. Him and his brother, Aaron. I don't know if you ever met Aaron, but Aaron Relliger and him are from Perryville, Missouri. And Danny actually has a state championship under his belt, which was something I didn't know at the time. And he was... Uh, Perryville? Is that over by Illinois, over by you guys? It's uh, southeast Missouri by... Um, what's it called? Uh, down there in the Boot Hill? <laughs> uh, not quite that far, but it's down by Cape Girardeau. It's a little bit north of Cape Girardeau. But... Um, yeah, Danny was a star player in high school. Um, he, he helped lead them to the only state championship in their history. So, can't discount... He was a punter, correct? At Mizzou he was, yeah. And I used to ask him, well, if you were a star player in high school... what so you can't... There's no such thing as a star punter. Sorry. No, he wasn't a punter in high school. Maybe he did some punting, but he was a star, like, tight end. And I asked him why he didn't pursue more of a skilled position, like receiver or tight end. He said... He was going was through. Well, he thought he thought that he'd have a better chance um, as a punter, getting you know, getting to make a difference. He thought that that would be his best angle in. So, I was always surprised. I think being, I think being an engineer, he's going to get the last lap. Well, he's definitely done very well. Yeah, he's he, he's uh, he's doing well for himself, and we're happy for him. You know. Who who do you think, in your personal opinion? Not even the most production. I mean, it could be one of the same, or output, or but just had the most um, talent. Mm. It could have been someone that yeah. never ended up playing because they got run off the squad or whatever. Yeah. And were in your playing years at Missouri, where yeah. you would watch and just be like, "Wow." The, the- the, the two people that blew me away the most for different reasons okay. were were Chase. I'm guess. Can I guess? Oh yeah. Of them? Oh, guess, yeah. Go ahead and guess. Jeremy Macklin and Denario Alexander. Well, both of them popped into my mind when you asked the question. If, uh, a few others did as well, but they both popped into my mind, and for different reasons. Denario, his 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 height and his reach, like his wingspan, and then his vertical on top of that just made him you know, just a different type of athlete altogether. Um Jeremy Macklin, as far as raw talent physically goes, I think Jeremy Macklin might be the most physically raw talent. And obviously a lot of that is mental. You can't have it without the mental side. So I'm not – when I say physically, I'm not taking away from his mental capabilities. But uh, I think Jeremy was the most talented person that I had ever watched perform and play football from a physical standpoint. Um, It's funny because I'll jump in really quick and we can continue, but um, I would say a lot of those same things about both of those guys, but I would maybe flip them. I think, uh, I think and it, a lot of the, you see a lot of this, obviously both are super raw talent, both are, uh, you know, super good football players technically, but we're just comparing both of them only to each other, so I'll preface it with that, but yeah. Um, J Mac was um, 
the one that I would say when you look at him compared to Denario, J-Mac was more refined in the sense he went to a high school or at least he made it seem as though he went to, he had some coaching, um, um, learned, he came into Missouri um, relative to every other incoming freshman, knowing a lot about the game itself. So forget talent, but how to run a route, how to hold a football, how to catch a football, how to practice, how to do a lot, which all sounds stupid, but as you know, when you get to that level, the little things um, are oftentimes the difference between um, sitting on the bench and playing. And so Jeremy was a, a football player from the get-go. Yeah. Um, whereas Denario, I think he grew I know he was in Texas, but I think it, he was a relatively small class. I could be completely wrong, but I believe he played at a, a smaller, I think he was like class, I mean, Texas has like class 10A or whatever the hell it is. But yeah. um, And I have no idea on his coaching, but he came in less refined. But I do think raw talent, and this is like, for example, this is something Jeremy just can't control, but at his height and his speed, in his strength, I mean, I'm telling you that I, I know people, if, if people, people probably don't listen to this, Mike, but if people did listen to this, <laughs> yeah, um, they would probably think I'm crazy when I make this statement, but he had the Randy Moss. I don't, um, I don't think it's crazy. Down. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. And Denario was probably, again, not the most output, not the most production, but the, the most talent upside probably that I have, have been around. I mean, the guy had 17 knee surgeries at Mizzou and managed to fight through all those and had 17 more, you know, in his unfortunately short NFL career, which I think was directly due to the injuries. Of course, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he had he had one really good year with San Diego. It might have even been kind of almost half a season. Where he was just, he was mossing people in the NFL, and I think it, I think that season, he was just coming off a knee in the NFL, and then I think that season ended with another knee, but if that guy hadn't had knee problems, I mean, he, he was, to me, raw ta- physical talent, raw physical talent, yeah. probably the most talented guy I've been around on the football field. Yeah. Well, he had a 42-inch vertical. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? The denario Yeah, game? I mean, the only thing I, I know of that's 42 inches is we can't talk about it on here. So that's... You know, <laughs> of course. Of I course. think I wrap it around two and a half times, but my yeah. is pretty small. So. <laughs> uh, no, that's... Uh, that came to your mind. You said you, there were more than two. Yeah. Chase Daniel in a different way. His mind. Chase Daniel's mental... Um, his... The way he played the game, the way he had the ability to let... Like he just... Nothing ever phased him. And he was very relaxed at all times. It didn't matter if there was one person in the crowd, 10,000 people watching, or 10 million. Or, or however many million watch, uh, like on a Saturday night against Nebraska all over the country, right? Like, he was always just pitch and catch, light about it, and every play was just... Right now, this moment, these 11 guys, the only thing that matters is completing the reception, 
scanning which receivers open, going down my my checklist, and just executing. That was that was that was the world he lived in, and nothing external. He didn't see anything external. It seemed like to me, and he played that way. Um, yeah, I agree, and I, I think on Chase one. By far, there are, and I think Chase would tell you this, tons of quarterbacks out there with more yes. uh, natural physical talent. Definitely. Uh, which Chase is a uh, living example of, yeah, you got to have the talent to to at least have the opportunity to get somewhere, but that just having the talent, all that means is you just have the talent. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to put it to work. And what I would say about Chase is, like, and I, I'm completely um, going out of my out of bounds at this point with you know reading defenses, and, but I, I'm not sure he was really good at that. But what he did is he commanded attention. Yeah, yeah. When, when you know when the other ten guys were in that huddle, there there was just something about. You know, whether he needed to tell a guy, a receiver who was lined up on the line that should have been off, it, it was he, and, and that's what all good quarterbacks or, or most really good quarterbacks have is that innate ability. There's, there's nothing really it looks like they do. Like, there's nothing that Chase looked like he was doing outwardly that, that resulted in commanding that, that attention. Yeah. You just, have it or you don't and, and he he had that knack I agree I agree he didn't put effort into that at all that was not something that exactly. he it was it was him and he didn't care if people thought this or that or you know after the game or he to your point had had a job to execute he was he was years um, along or years you know, uh, out ahead of, of most 18, 19, 20, 20 year old yahoos like me running around college. (laughs) And he would, he was still had fun. He still lived life. He wasn't some loser in a bubble either. So yeah, that was part, that was natural. I've got to imagine obviously. And, and just the way his outlook was that, that he brought that professionalism as a 19 year old to college and you don't really see it when you're there you don't even really appreciate it because you're a 19 year old yahoo like i was Um, (laughs) but when you reflect on it um it 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 you it becomes more apparent that man that guy you know mentally um and the way he operated and the way he practiced and um you know he was he was years beyond most guys even with more talent, just just the professionalism, I would say. Yeah, Chase is. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. You know, he really he really had it together, and I, I feel that uh, it was cool being able to be around. And we've we've only talked about three athletes, and there were so many talented guys and, and different types of talent um, that that was really spectacular, in my opinion. And that was one of the cool things about being on the team from from my perspective is being able to absorb that and be able to see that firsthand and learn from it. Really try to pick up some of those things and 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 I felt I felt it it made me a better football player. There was a lot of things that 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 program at that time that I was able to to 
absorb and, and grow and, 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 and be the best po- football player I could be at the time, you know? So that was really a, a cool treat. And one thing that we didn't say about Jeremy that I have to articulate is, um, I saw him play in a different level that was, this is going to sound a little crazy if I don't say it right. It's not crazy. You're crazy, but, but keep going. You said I'm crazy? <laughs> You're crazy. We're all crazy. Okay. Jeremy would, 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 Use like um, momentum in in the way he would um, tackle something like or not tackle but but uh, go about like either a game or a practice. He could somehow. I remember saying like at the beginning of practice, he, he would it was almost as if he would start kind of like um, just very relaxed and, and slow, and then he would kind of use the the positive momentum throughout the practice to build on itself, where it was almost like he was playing on. Um, how do I say it? Like, Sega Genesis? Well, yeah, it was like he had this, like, he would build up an aura around him as he was, like, it would build up an almost crescendo. And ideally, I think Coach Pingle wanted the practices to end on the highest note, right? When you're finally doing 11 on 11 at the end of the game or 7 on 7, at the end of practice, I mean, you want to be operating at the highest level. And I could see that Jeremy would be by that time in practice he would be operating on the highest level the quickest the the most refined and 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 like he just he wouldn't make mistakes like everyone makes mistakes sometimes but it was like he was more tuned in and focused as it went on and it was like a crescendo i don't know how to explain does that did you yeah, ever I mean, pick that up yeah i would say um that and jeremy would probably kill me for saying this but i'll i'll, I'll say it wouldn't kill me that Jeremy was, um, if someone challenged him, which Coach Hill would do all the time, is he, some people need um, uh, to be motivated sometimes, not because they're not self-starters, but th- that's just some people perform their best when um, th- their back's up against the wall, and sometimes you need to artificially um make them feel as though their back's up against the wall, whether yeah. it's riding their ass or, you know, because Coach Hill would ride Jeremy, especially for how good Jeremy was. And I, I actually respect Coach Hill for that because you're a coach and, and, you know, it's it's important to make clear to all of your players that I'm not going to expect or demand anything out of player A that I don't expect or demand out of player B. Not from a production standpoint, because everyone's talent's different, but from um, a way you carry yourself. So I I would say um, now Jeremy got a lot better on that, and I'm sure Jeremy perfected that, because if he didn't perfect the mental side, he wouldn't have had the NFL career he had. So, period. But what he had is five-yard speed. Everyone gets caught up in running a 40-yard dash, and which I'm sure his was really fast as well. Yeah, it was. And, you know, yeah. as a measurement for football. Well, how often in a real game do you run in a straight line for 40 yards? The only time is... being touched or out have, without having to cut on a dime and stop it's or what have you. Very yeah. rare. Yeah, it's only when you when there's a breakaway, right? When you're either trying to tackle somebody who's running yeah, for an end zone or whatever, you've got a bunch of yards at that point, anyways. But what Jeremy between between the hashes, whether it's you know kind of a a slot reverse sweep or just a little shovel, 
if 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 there was a window between you know a pulling guard or a pulling tackle and he's only going to touch this defender for so long and there's the corners crashing down playing hard cover too and now you have this little window that jeremy has to get through and there's about a second before it closes and 99.99 percent of people don't have the burst of speed forget how long you can sustain that speed but the burst of speed from zero to a hundred to get through that that hole yeah uh Jeremy had that like no one else. He was better at that than his his five yard burst, his ability to go from uh, zero to you know fast was unreal, and yeah. that's what to me what was the difference maker for his overall football game was his quickness and his burst, his quick burst. Yeah. Well, I offense the way we ran it suited him lovely. Yeah, well, it it was perfect, right? I, I think basically wasn't that like the H the H position? I forget the name for it, but I, I think that was pretty much what most of most of what the H position did. Um, if my memory was, I mean, obviously he played all all positions X, Y, H, and Z. I think it was. But, yeah, I mean, the thing I loved about. Uh, our um, our offenses, we had like sixty receivers at a time. I thought Blake's on the two deep. Well, that means because we got like seven, you know, wide receiver. But that just means you're the thirteenth receiver, Blake. <laughs> really, you know, Blake's too deep at X. But if X number That's one right. starter gets hurt, well, number two H is going to go take X spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to always, you know, how that always went. Well, of course. It was always nice when I would have the some of the best practices of my life as a walk-on, and somehow I'd be lower on the depth chart the next day. So, <laughs> I, uh, it, it almost felt like... My, my, my takeaway from football, and we can put the, the Mizzou football to bed, is, is it had nothing to do with football. Nothing. Looking back on it, really nothing. I mean, you know, it was fine, but I, it... it, it the, the football piece taught me how to uh, fail. Because in my mind, I shouldn't say fail, but um, it taught me how to handle not being the best. Fair enough. Because most guys who went to Mizzou, even walk-ons, depends on their high school, but were probably one of the best at their high school. And mm-hmm. everything's really easy when you're the best. Yeah, and you love yourself, and everyone loves you, and it's a cakewalk. Well, you know the real test is when you're dog shit. Then how do you act? Then how do you practice? And I so that was one thing I learned. But the biggest takeaway are the relationships that you build. For yeah. example, one story I, I always tell is um, when I lived above Jimmy John's, right? Me and those other three dumbasses, uh, Brock. Kaufman and Stegall. Yeah. Uh, that was quite the foursome. Um, yeah. And I don't know, who knows how I found myself in this position, just being stupid throughout the entire night. Um, and uh, we were, I was walking out of, um, what, what's the bar right by, is it Big 12? Fieldhouse, Harpo's, Willie's. Willie's, okay. Willie's Fieldhouse, whatever that was called. And I'm sure I'd had, you know, probably a beer or two, maybe, just just maybe. Um, and 
I, there was a black fraternity um, doing some dance or kind of sitting outside and uh, a fraternal type deal. And like a complete immature dumbass, not in a bad way, just Blake thinking he's funny when he's not funny. Um, found myself in the middle of the dance or the chant. And um, some of those guys, understandably, are like, well, who the fuck is this jackass? Right, um, right. And Tank, Jamar Smith, was there. I don't know if we were, if he was at the bar inside and else, but he sensed something. Okay. And, and Jamar Smith didn't have to like me from fucking Adam. You know, there was no reason why someone but he, like Tank needed to um, save you actively like or care about me. Yeah. And he got in the middle of it and he basically told the guys, you know, don't touch this guy. This is my dude. He's coming with me. And on the night went. It seemed like a little thing. But, you know, it's those types of experiences I look back on where you just don't find that. Um, there are other places you can find it. But college sports specifically, because high school I have to from the same, you know, neighborhood. But the the melting pot, as cliche as that sounds, there are people and who look different, come from different walks of life, socioeconomically and environmentally and parenting that um, you know, I wouldn't have had the privilege to not only meet but become close to and expand my own um, life and and uh, learn from others, Tank being one of them, and those types of that's what you take away to me from playing college sports. The rest of the shit, whatever. It's football. It's a game. But yeah. the the relationships that that's life. Well, that's those are tremendous takeaways, Blake. And and not that it matter. This I'm gonna, I got to throw in one fact for the listeners, just because they don't know who Tank is. Just to clarify for them, because for you and I, it doesn't matter. The listeners, I think, need to know. Just to clarify, in this story, uh, I think it is relevant to say that Tank could have been a member of that fraternity. We don't know if he was or not, but yeah, I don't know if he was. I don't believe he was. And but he was, he was being a good man when he did not have to be. Yeah, period. He was he was being a teammate, looking out for you, right? As a teammate, and he sensed that there was no. Um, intentional harm he knew blake may and he's like this is blake may just being a jackass yeah not trying and, to i yeah i i don't doubt yeah. that at all that you were you didn't have any um any um uh what's it called um malice ill will, Ill will. you didn't have any ill will by it is another good word. but it could it could be perceived from someone who didn't know you in that moment Right and tank absolutely tank sensed well, those it. Those guys that, that were getting mad at me were not in the wrong by any means. I say that fully. Fair enough. It, 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 this is just pointing out an example of you. You learn a lot about people, right? And and there's you know enough to get to the country, but we've gotten away from too much of the. Um, Hey, let's focus on those things we all have in common. Yeah. Um, and and build relationships around those. Yeah. Um, you know, variables or aspects. Yeah. 
while also recognizing those things we don't have in common and always working on those, improving on those, making sure you're always respect the, you know, respectful of those. Of them. Definitely. But we've kind of flipped it. Like all we can think about now is why I'm over in this corner and why you're over in that corner and why we should never be in the same corner. Whereas, you know, my experience at Mizzou was always why should we be in the same corner and how do we grow in those areas or thoughts or um, opinions where we find ourselves in different corners? How do we make yeah. those corners closer? You know? Well, that's you, awesome. You, just don't, you learn that stuff in real life. You can't, you can't study that. Oh, definitely. You can only be immersed in it, right? And You, you can only be immersed in it. And there are only so many environments that, that um, harvest that. Yeah, and college athletics is one of them because there are so many walks of life. Yeah, people you don't even know, or you assumed, oh, these types of people are this, or this. and then you're like, well, well I was fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a big thing to say. I, I respect that and I agree with it. And I I also am thankful to have had that exposure and the brotherhood and uh, you know the opportunity to to learn about different cultures through football. Um, and, and to learn how to improve some of the ways that doing life, you know, I mean, when you've got 120 guys that you see every day, you, and you hang out with some of them outside of football and you're immersed with that, you, you pick up things that you, you can do better, right? Like, like, uh, uh, uh just in, for damn sure, for in, me at least. in big ways and small ways, you know what I mean? In, in detailed ways and in, in philosophical ways you know and i that that's one of the the great strengths of a, of a football team and and i i do think that um that's one of the benefits of of team sports as a whole you know and especially yeah. when you get the opportunity to be in diverse team sports or or anything really where you have to work toward a common goal right and i agree 100 percent. yeah well that's a good takeaway um this has been good, Blake. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about right now? Any? Nope. I appreciate you reaching out, Mike. And you know, I um, like I said, there's it. It takes uh, well, it takes a village to raise a family, and, and although football teams, you're not raising anyone, but um, you know, I think it's it's easy to write off. Um, the Michael Oldroids of the world on football teams, but you know, it, there there are um, attributes that people on a team bring to the team that oftentimes have nothing to do with playing football. That still, ultimately, I believe now, ultimately, indirectly, directly and indirectly, um, do impact the output of that team. Um, you know, and it, 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 you um, embody that that motto, and I I know that because I struggled to embody that motto, um, and um, it goes back to, to the tank deal. You know, I get a, I get I I got to see people, someone like you, and when I wanted every time, you know, oftentimes screw this, I'm done with this. They say I'm always going to have a chance to play. Then I see Mike Oldroyd out there where they, you know, haven't given the sniff that I have, and he's out here busting his ass. Um, so, you know, 
it's it's been good to to reconnect and now that you're in the good old Missouri again you're gonna have to come over here to to Kansas City and or I'm gonna have to come over to St. Louis and we'll have to get together yeah man yeah we'll grab a beer that sounds good Blake I thank you man thanks for that compliment and uh absolutely and keep sending me some comedy if you're not if every if there's stuff you're not dropping on uh Instagram. I'm not seeing it. All right, I'll uh, every once in a while I'll send you something that I kind of withhold that uh, I got a I got a good uh, I got I got one that I'm already thinking of that uh, you'll appreciate. Give me a sneak preview. I'll pay I'll pay the you know I'll pay the, the fee the, the additional fee. Yeah, for the, for the sneak preview. Uh, of the no, no, the the fee's already been paid through our uh, through our time together. You know, so awesome Blake well, thank good talking to you buddy I appreciate you letting me on your show and um, if you get any flack from the show just tell them to call me and I'll, I'll make sure to not answer <laughs> okay that sounds good and uh, thanks right, for coming man. on the show Blake and brother. Good. stay safe out there let's keep in touch yeah. God, ble- God bless you too Blake and uh, and good luck with your business and um, uh, thanks man I appreciate it it was all nice alright bro have a good night you too alright Blake later dude alright Bye bye. Thank you for listening. By the way, am I the only one who's horny? This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.